Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. Hopefully, through this sermon series, what we can do is we can look at some of these interactions that Jesus has, and piece by piece, story by story, maybe we can begin to see and feel and hear what they were hearing then by taking some of these simple stories and peeling back the layers a little bit, putting a little narrative to them, and then seeing what is it that they saw. Maybe that would have changed me as well. Last week we talked about the leper or the man with leprosy. What we talked about was that Jesus saw him as a man who had leprosy. All week long I've been saying this phrase. I'm not a crap individual. I'm a good guy standing at a crap booth. Like, like, uh, like Matthew, in Matthew chapter 9, when Jesus comes and calls him, he is Matthew, a man named Matthew at a tax, collect, a tax collector's booth. I am not a bad person. I'm just a person who sometimes stands at a crap booth. And that's kind of the same thing. This series, or this sermon, we're going to look at a different story. This story actually takes place just prior to the story of Jesus interacting with the man with leprosy that we talked about last week. So, let me read you a part of this. This is in Luke chapter 5. <clears throat> One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is the Sea of Galilee, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the, at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen, who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little further from shore. But then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. We'll get to the rest of it in a minute. There's a couple of things that I think are funny. Jesus is teaching. He's got these people huddled around him, this big mass of people who are following him around, and he's teaching them. Here's what's really cool. We have like next to zero history on any other rabbi that we have ever known or heard of that would go out into a pasture with a group of people or on a mountainside or on a seashore and teach people. Like this was Jesus' thing. Like he was kind of cutting edge, pretty kind of hippie, kind of organic, kind of, you know, like, we don't need buildings, brah. We're just going to go out on the seashore. Like, that kind of thing. And people were like, this is kind of nice. Like, it's fresh air. When we were in college, every once in a while, our professor would come in. He'd be like, it's a wonderful day outside. And this little, uh, I don't know what you call it, kind of like a little amphitheater right down at the base of the school in front of the cafeteria. Just these little rocks that they had stacked down there. And the professor would come in. He'd be like, let's go, uh, let's go outside and do the lesson. Oh, we loved it. It was so great. So great. It was nice. It was refreshing. It was such a cool thing. When you'd walk by and you see other classes doing it, you're like, man, my professor sucks. We never get to do that, you know? It was always this. It was so cool. And so Jesus got these people outside, and this was his custom, which is kind of fits his whole thing, that if you want to find Jesus, it's a little inconvenient sometimes. All the other rabbis, you know where you can find them? Oh, at the market. You can find him out in the temple yard. You can find him up on the steps. Find him uh, over by the synagogue. 
Jesus? No, you gotta, you got to wander around to find Jesus. Have you recognized that in your own life? Sometimes you have to wander around to find Jesus, take the scenic route a little bit, get lost, turn around. Oh, there you are. It's kind of what he does. So Jesus gets down to the, to the sea, the, the Sea of Gennesaret or the Sea of Galilee. He's on the shore. He's teaching the people. Can you imagine? He's teaching, and all of a sudden he just starts walking away. And people are like, get your lawn chairs, and they take, they take off. And he just keeps walking out to the edge of the water, and the people just kind of keep following him. Like, where's he, where's he going? He walks out to the water, and he's kind of standing there on the edge with the water behind him, and he's teaching. And he's kind of like, they, they, got me, they got me cornered. You know, they got me backed against the water. Jesus sees these two boats. Do you notice he doesn't even ask, hey, can I borrow your boat? It says he gets ashore. I mean, he gets aboard the boat. Climbs in. Simon is on the other side. He owns one of the boats. He's washing nets. He feels the boat kind of rock. He says, what are you doing? He says, I'm going to borrow your boat. Oh, okay. That's, that's fine. Just washing my nets over here. He's like, hey, do you mind uh, backing us out a little bit? Yeah, no, I wouldn't do anything. That'd be, be fine. Backs the boat out. <laughs> Simon's setting out about 15 feet off the bank in his own boat. Somebody else obviously is the captain now, you know. <laughs> I mean, he's just been, just been taken over. Setting out on his own boat. All the other guys and the, the other fishermen over on the side are like, what are you doing? in the boat he's <laughs> and he's just sitting there teaches all the people sit down on the bank and he just teaches them it's interesting it says that they are washing their nets it says when they show up these guys are washing their nets that's a clue that's a clue that tells us something very very important Peter will then confirm our suspicions in a second if you're washing your nets in the morning you always wash your nets when you're done fishing. If they're washing their nets now, that means they were fishing all night. Peter's tired. Simon Peter is tired. Jesus just commandeered his boat. He's teaching lessons. He thinks it's great. He finishes teaching. He turns around and he looks to Simon Peter and he says this. What do you say we go out to deep water? throw their nets out for a, for a catch. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the thing, Jesus. If you have these conversations, like you, you know that he's convicting you or laying something on your heart and the whole time you, you kind of got this, you're like, all right, here, listen, okay, listen. Let's talk this out. Listen to what Peter says. Simon, Simon Peter. It's called Simon Peter here, but this is Peter. Jesus says, when he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. <laughs> Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you want to go, we'll go. It's not really an opportune time to go fishing in the Sea of Galilee, honestly, not at this hour. 
it's going to get hot. The other thing is this, is that the water is pretty clear. The fish will see you coming. There's a reason that they fished at night. They use these things called trammel nets. So these trammel nets were anywhere from 100 to 500 feet long. And they were made up of three different nets. So there's one, and it's got big holes on this side. The other one on the other side has got big holes on this side. But in the middle, it's got this real fine, kind of smaller hold uh, net. Nowadays, it's like a, like a filament. And so they're all sandwiched in. And what they would do is they would take it, and they would run it around in a big circle. And they would come all the way back to the other side, quietly, in the night. And then once they got around to the other end of it, all the corks floating on the top of it, all the lead weights on the bottom, they create this big wall. And then they would bang on their boat and they would splash in the water and scare the fish into the wall. Well, the fish would go through the first big hole and then they would get into the second one. And I don't know that fish have a reverse. So they go into it. They catch their gills and their fins and, on, and, every, and everything on those little, in those little bitty holes. They would go through the other side push through the big holes on the other side. Now they're caught. And so the whole net is then full of fish. And what Peter says is, we just came back from there. And we caught like rocks and sticks and stuff like that. And so then we were just cleaning our nets because we're done. And we've been doing this all night. And we caught nothing. But if you want to go, we'll go. And in my mind, this is what I think. I, I think Peter would, if I'm Peter, I would be saying stuff like, look, we know fishing. You know carpentry. But I wouldn't show up at your house at midnight saying, hey, how about an order of bar stools? Now would I? I wouldn't. But if you want to go fishing, Jesus, let's go. So they go. <laughs> you can almost just feel the like. <sighs> Commandeer my boat for Sunday school and They let down the nets while they're rowing to get into that place. Let me tell you a story. Simon Peter has history with Jesus. They already knew each other. <clears throat> John the Baptist came before Jesus, and he was preaching and teaching and telling everybody to make straight paths. The Messiah is coming. And see, John the Baptist had his own disciples. One of his, uh, one of his disciples' name was Andrew. So Andrew followed John the Baptist around. One day, after Jesus was tempted by the devil for 40 days in the desert, he comes out, and he comes across John the Baptist somewhere with his disciples. And John the Baptist, is, it's revealed to him, this is the Messiah. Now, it was also his cousin. Like, he knew him from way back since they were babies. But it's revealed to him, like, you are the, you were, you were a great cousin and a good friend and a great teacher but I didn't know you were him him and he stands up and he says behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and it says from that point forward that John's disciples some of them left him and began following Jesus one of them was Andrew the first thing Andrew does is Andrew runs off and he finds his brother he goes and he finds his brother and he says Simon Peter You've got to meet the man. We found him. It's the Messiah. Come on, hurry up. Simon Peter comes walking up. Only called Simon at this time. Comes walking up. Completely unannounced. And for whatever reason, it says Jesus looked at him. 
Jesus, Andrew, remember me? I used to be with John the Baptist. Now I'm on your team. Uh, hey, good to see you. They shook hands. This is my brother. I, I'd like to introduce you to him. And it says that Jesus looked at him and said, I think I'm going to call you Peter from now on. <laughs> it doesn't say anything else. His name is Simon. But I think I'm going to call Can you imagine that? It's Teresa, right? Uh, how about uh, Susan from now on? Okay. That doesn't make sense. Change, everybody change that in your contacts. If you got her in, put her under Susan from now on. You'd like to call her Susan. Just this random thing. Just going to change your name. And, then I'll think, and so he sees this. A couple of days later, Jesus goes to a wedding, and Simon, now Peter, is with him. At this wedding, Jesus performs his first miracle, turns water into wine. Peter sees this happen. Here's what else. Peter had a sick mother-in-law. Before all of this happened, before this moment out in the water, where he commandeered the ship, Jesus and Peter are at Peter's house, and he heals Peter's sick mother-in-law. So Peter saw this happen too. It's pretty incredible. Several other instances that Peter would have been very aware of. He had seen Jesus' power. He had seen his miracles. But then once they all kind of got to this place and he heals the mother-in-law and they're hanging out, what they say, the disciples say is, Jesus, stay here with us. And Jesus said, I can't stay here. I can't stay here. I have to go preach the gospel. I have to go share the good news because that's why I was sent. And he leaves. And they stay. You see, they were disciples, but not disciples. They weren't full-time with the thing yet. Like, they were in. Like, we would like to follow you. You're the Messiah. And then when the Messiah wouldn't hold still and stay where they wanted him to stay, they just let him go. I wish that that was not a great analogy for my own life. But unfortunately, it is. There's some ideas of who Jesus is that I would like to hold on to and I'd like him to stay put with these things. Let it always be this. Good things happen to good people. Right, Jesus? And only good things happen to good people. Bad people, they get what they deserve. And it should be bad. Right, Jesus? And Jesus is like, eh, I got different thoughts on that. I don't appreciate that. You see, when the Messiah wants me to do stuff that I don't want to do, and he wants me to leave and go do things and take care of things that I don't want to go do, and he walks away, I've got the option. I can go with him, or I can stay. And these guys stayed. Now we're here. He's been preaching. He's been traveling. They were his disciples. And then he shows up, and where are they? Back in their boats. That's where they were in the beginning. Now that's where they are now. They're kind of these like halfway disciples. But Jesus has got this thing about him. I don't know if you've, if you've realized this. That even when he gets you, and you know like the, the hook is in and he's got you, like he's not okay with that's just, that's just good enough. Like he wants to kind of pull you in closer because like, I don't think you really get it. I don't think you really get it. Scoot up. I don't think you're really seeing who I am. He keeps doing this thing. See, here's what's really great about Jesus. Is that he's got this, this thing about him that's so patient, so kind, 
so gracious that I would like to say I am sold out for Jesus. I'm sold out. The truth is, there might be some things there that can make me hit the brakes. I haven't encountered them. There might be. I mean, everybody's got something, right? We all got a thing or something that could be out there that could hijack us pretty good. Jesus wants fully committed disciples. They get out to the spot where they're going to go fish. They take the nets, they put them in there. Circle back around. You could just see Peter like, there's still the nets out. Just do the big circle. Just going through the motions. I already cleaned these nets once. Clean these nets again. I'm tired. I was up all night. Pulling all-nighter? Pulling all... I worked the night shift, Jesus, and now here you are wanting to talk to me this morning. Then there's this uncharacteristic tug in a boat that shouldn't move sideways. Move sideways. Jesus is like this. just like <laughs> they grab the other end begin to pull at it the whole thing drifts just moves the whole boat sideways these boats these fishing vessels that they're talking about 27 feet long about seven and a half feet wide you're talking a big boat moves it sideways. They begin to tug at this net, circle it up. We must be hung on something, I'm thinking, Peter's, we must be hung on something. I don't know, something, I don't know what's going on. They begin to tug at it, but this, is, this, this isn't right. They begin to pull and pull and pull. And as they pull these nets all the way up and they make the circle smaller, the water begins teeming like it's boiling. And then that cool moment that all fishermen love, you know the one? That cool, cool, cool moment where you see the line in the water, right? Right? It's just carving through the water, just moving. And you just keep reeling. You set the hook a couple times and you just keep reeling. And you adjust the drag. It comes all the way up and then that thing happens. fish surfaces and you're like oh yes we are in business this is that's when you start bragging to everybody you're yelling stuff fish on fish on suckers you know <laughs> winning now ain't i i'm winning and you see that thing come out of water and these fish just begin to just just surface smashing up against the side of the boat Peter's completely overwhelmed, like, we did this all night. This is not a good hour to be fishing. And I've never seen this many fish. <coughs> it says they signal to the other boat because they need help. 
The other boat comes. Like, what are these idiots doing? They went out in the middle of the day, got the nets hung up. What are you doing? They come out there and they realize this is something. Are you serious right now? They get all the fish that they can get. They pull these nets up piece by piece, taking every fish out one by one. They get them all up in the boat. One boat is completely full. They got to pass the nets over to the other side. The other boat gets it. They fill their boat completely up. These boats are so full of, uh, so full of fish that they are threatening to capsize. These things are sinking down. Their water level is up on the edge. Waters just don't like, they're like, don't move. Why? Every move, like, shh, water's coming in. They get them back to the shore. And then something happens to Peter. Here's what's crazy to me. He saw his mother-in-law get healed. He saw him turn water into wine. He saw Jesus do other miracles. He knows that Jesus has some sort of authority that's different than all the other rabbis. But this was something different. This was a personal connection. Peter knew this was a personal connection. Jesus went down to the water for that reason. He went down there looking for Peter for that reason. And he spoke to Peter in a language that only Peter would have really, truly cared about. I can tell you, if you want to speak my language, if Jesus wants to speak my language, when I go home today, do you know what will be in my garage? A Porsche 911. Because <laughs> I love them. Love them. If he wants to speak, if there's a Porsche, Lord, what do you want? What do you want from me? Peter's response is really cool, though. And I think we can learn something from it. He doesn't look up and say, we have never caught this many fish. We should go tomorrow. It's not what he says. He's in a fishing business, Simon and his brother Andrew, and so are James and John, the sons of Zebedee. They're all partners in the fishing business. It would make sense for them to be like, well, let's get these dudes to market. Let's make some dollars on this thing. But that's not Peter's response. You see, Jesus is the kind of Savior that shows up in your life and all the good blessings in your life begin to pale in comparison to simply knowing him. Peter falls down on his knees in front of Jesus and he says, get away from me, Lord. Get away from me. I am a detestable man. The word is sinful. The Greek is detestable. Lord, go away from me. When you ask me, in my mind, this is what I see Peter thinking. When you ask me, hey, can I borrow your boat for a second? Like my heart was so bitter towards you because I was tired, whiny. You asking me to do something and I already did something today and I didn't want to do anything else. 
Then when you wanted to go fishing, I was like, this guy knows nothing about fishing. But when you asked me to follow you, and I didn't, you said you were going to go do that and share the good news, and I didn't go. And it was because of my own blind excuses and my own lack of faith and my own laziness and my own fears and my own worries and my own responsibilities because I've got a family and I've got a wife and, he, and her mother's sick and I've got this job and the business is going well. It just seems like you were just kind of an inconvenience, Jesus, but I was wrong. I was wrong. You should not be around me. Go away from me for I am a detestable man. Peter's faith was as empty as last night's nets. His commitment was as empty as last night's nets. But now all of a sudden he's pulling up something different. A whole new bag of fears. You know what kind of friend Jesus is? He's the kind. It says that there were so many fish that the nets began to tear. The boats began to sink. You know what kind of friend Jesus is? He's the kind that borrows your stuff and breaks it. He's the kind that just takes your stuff and he breaks it. He just wears your stuff out. You know, like your gifts and your abilities. And all the things you think in your life that are so important. And he shows up and he uses them and he breaks them. What he shows you is that he can rake in so much more with less at inconvenient times. If you just let him. If we just go through the process of letting him inconvenience us, how much more blessing is on the other side? Let me ask again. If we go through the process of letting Jesus inconvenience us just a little bit, how much blessing is on the other side? Lord, I want to go out with my friends and I want to go do this stuff that they're doing. And yes, it's a little bit off color. And yes, it's... Not ideal, and yes, we shouldn't, but I want to. What if we let him inconvenience us in that? Okay, you know what? I'm not going to go. What blessing is on the other side? What blessing is on the other side of that? What if we let him inconvenience us? You know those selfish moments that husbands and wives have? Oh, maybe it's only at my house? Oh, okay, fine, fine. <laughs> These selfish moments to where I want to be selfish because I'm tired. I don't want to drag my nets out for her. It's like, hey, wanna? I'm like, ugh, no, don't want to. She wants to go drag nets around in the yard and do all kinds. No, I don't want to. I don't want to. I'm tired. Just sat down. I just sat down. It's a great one, isn't it? Just sit down. I had to sit down all day. I've been standing all day long. Just sit down. You're going to come in. Just sit down. Those inconvenient moments, I decide, you know what? Okay, I'm going to drag my freaking nets out one more time for her. What blessings on the other side of that? Longer marriage? More peace? Does the Holy Spirit then infuse my family with a new spirit of service? One that changes my kids? Is that what's on the other side of the inconvenience? Ah, oh, I hope not. I lost that one. If we just let him inconvenience us a little, then what? What do we become? How does it change us? How does it change us as a family? Peter's nets come over the side of the boat. He's got a whole brand new set of problems now. Because now he's in the boat with God. 
and he knows it. Like, ah, sorry about that whole net thing in the, you, in the boat with God. And you know this is true. You know that, that, that he understands that because Jesus' words to him are this. Do not fear. The word is phobia. Do not have phobia of me. Be very easy to. You just realize you've been smarting off to the Almighty. <laughs> Undercover. You don't even know him. You piped off a few things to him, like under your breath, you know? And all of a sudden it's like, uh, my bad doesn't really cover it, you know? And Jesus looks at him and he goes, do not fear. Peter's like, too late. <laughs> too late. I am already fear. And then he looks at him and he says this, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Have you ever had those moments, those moments of doubt to where you're like, I hear people say to me like, I need to share the gospel or I need to be more um, involved in church or I need to volunteer more I need to be a part of stuff and you kind of have that feeling that guilty thing of oh I don't want to serve in children's church and I don't want to you know that thing I don't want to some of you hit ignore when you see Luke calling you know <laughs> Luke calls you like nope not available nope 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 no. I have not sat in church in three weeks no I'm not gonna <coughs> You have that feeling that, like, what's my role in all of it? I've shared this with you before. Like, I feel like, I feel like that sometimes myself. Like, my role inside of ministry, like, as a preacher, like, isn't, it doesn't seem like it's a very good fit when I look at other preachers. You know, when I see other guys who are doing it, and I'm like, like, they're so, like, they have good grammar. I don't. Like, they're, they don't have a potty mouth. I don't either. <laughs> like, like, they they don't take scripture and make it, they don't mess with it, you know, and I do, and I color, I color on it. And I think, this is not, you don't think you're supposed to do this. Like, people don't do this. I don't think you're supposed, and you feel that deal. Like that pressure, or you look at your job or your position and you think, what is my role? Like, how am I supposed to do more for God when, like, what I'm doing right now, like, I don't have the education to go do something else. I, there's no rabbi has come by and commandeered my business and told me nothing like that has happened. Like, wh how do I find my place in all of this? Like, I just don't feel like I'm, I've got what it takes to share with somebody else the story of Jesus or the good news. And what Peter is feeling, I think, is that same thing. And then I think what Jesus says to him is this. See all these fish? You're going to catch men like that. You're going to catch men like that. You know what's interesting to me? Is that Jesus didn't say the thing that I would have said if I were Jesus. Stick with me, champion. We can do this all day only with people because that's the kind of cocky stuff I would have said but it's not what he says what he says to him is I'm going to make you a fisher of men not this stick with me I'll show you how it's done no I'm going to make you that 
I'm going to make you that. This is a common man. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. It takes Peter a little while to get that whole boat thing out of his system, that whole fishing thing out of his system. When Christ is crucified and then resurrected, the disciples begin to waver. You know where we find Peter next? Back on his boat. Don't you have that thing you run to, that place you go to? Everything gets wobbly and you're just like, I need to go to my mom's house. I need to call my friend. I got to get out of town. Peter, it's the boat. I just got to get on the boat. I just got to get on the bike. I just got to get in the boat. Jesus comes to him at that point. He reinstates him. He says, Peter, do you love me? Yeah. Feed my sheep. Three times he asks him, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes. Lord, you know I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yeah. I love you, Lord. Do you know what happens after that? You never see Peter on a boat again. He never goes back to the boat. He's okay. He's put back together. He's made whole. Here's my encouraging word to you today. It's this. I don't care where you are in the grand scheme of your call. If it's in the beginning, when you're like, I'm on your team, but I got some other stuff I got to handle. He's called you. I don't care if you're at that place to where you're like, okay, this is a big, this is a big deal. This is a big deal. I'm in. I think I'm all the way in. Or if you're at that place to where, like, Jesus doesn't know if you love him. You don't know if you love him. You're wobbly. Everything feels completely out of sorts. Let me tell you this. That it is a process. Your journey, this is a process. If your expectation of yourself is that you're going to knock it out of the park every single time, my friends, go easy on yourself. Go easy on yourself. He's called us to be a thing. We're fisher of men. We're fishers of men. He wants to use us. Will you let him inconvenience you? Will you let him move into your life, unlock some of those doors, move around your furniture, stand around, tell you what to do with your stuff? Will you let him inconvenience you? If so, I can promise you this. You will find blessing upon blessing upon blessing. Let's pray, and we'll bail out of here. Lord, we love your word, and we're very appreciative of it. We ask that, Lord, you will continue to uh, enlighten us and teach us and move us, inspire us with your word and with your stories. Lord, we ask that as, as a church, in our, in our, as a group of people, as we disperse and as we go about our week, God, that in whatever it is that you have, you have lined up for us to do, God, that you will make us fishers of men. 